out that God can and does do what he says he can do. A, a good preacher friend of mine, y'all some know him, Brother Dennis, he says something all the time. There's only two things that God can't do. <laughs> he can't fail and he can't lie. If he tells you he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And you can look through the scriptures, that is biblically sound. He cannot lie, and he cannot fail. God is 100% perfect in being able to keep up his promises. And I don't know about y'all, he's been good to me. Amen? This morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Acts, chapter 5. He's been good as we begin this walk through the book of Acts. We started out first week, first chapter in the second chapter. And we've seen that the coming of the promise, that just as Jesus had promised, the Father sent the power from on high, the Holy Spirit came, and the church was born of the Spirit, and 3,000 people saved at the first day of Pentecost, and then we've seen in chapters 3 and 4. Today, we're in chapters 5. You know, this ain't a chapter that most preachers would pick to, to just say, oh, I want to preach on that. That'd be a fun passage to preach. My thing is not working today. Y'all must not have it on. And so as I'm trying to get us, there we go. But today we have all heard of Ananias and Sapphira. Hopefully we don't know anyone like them. But as we look today, I want us to read and I want to talk to us. You know, you're not going to get to chapter 6 if you don't go through chapter 5. If you're going to preach through the book and read through the Bible. We don't like reading all of it sometimes. But this morning... I think God's got a message for us right here in chapter 5. And I want to talk to you this morning about reverence and godly fear. And as you read with me this morning, the Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And when he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now they were already doing this in the verses right above that and um, Barnabas had gotten recognized and um, everyone was praising the Lord and meeting one another's needs by doing this. And so here they decided that they would participate in it. And it says, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and he brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And here is one of the greatest understatements, I believe, in the Bible. So great fear, duh, came upon all those who heard these things. But that's not enough. The young men arose, they wrapped him up, they carried him out, and they buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Certainly this is before social media, amen? I don't know how they kept it for three hours from getting out. But for three hours, she comes in. And Peter answered her, said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. 
She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. And here it is again, the second time. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, I thought we're not supposed to have fear. We just sang a song about not having fear. But I don't know if you figured this out yet, but in the Bible, the Bible speaks about two different kinds of fear. One's a good fear, one's a bad fear. One is a fear that God commands us to have. The other is a fear that God forbids. One is a fear that builds you up. Another is a fear that tears you down. So there's a fear to gain and there's a fear to shun. Can you get an amen? amen? And the Bible tells us that there is a healthy fear. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But today, if we were to be honest, do we really have a healthy, godly fear of the Lord? And you know, we look at that and we read that, and I don't know about y'all, but being a preacher, I think it out and I apply it to the day. Now you sit here and say, boy, here it is. I could see where that would scare them. No, let's, let's, let's bring it home. What if I said this morning, Jonathan, we thank you for that offer another day, but why did you lie? And all of a sudden, Jonathan dropped dead. And I said, Big John, Sam, carry him out of here. He's trying to act. Like he's something that he's not. He wants to look like the brother the other week ago that gave everything. But he really has not done that. And all of a sudden Alicia comes in a little later. And those of who would still be here <laughs> were still sitting here. And I said, Miss Alicia, did you understand and know about the offering that Jonathan gave? Yeah, I do. And the same thing happened. Friends, I don't know if you really think about this. It's hard enough to get people to come to church today, amen? But at this time, why would God do that? I prayed, I studied, I read. It's in here. It, 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 it's for our benefit. It's not to hurt us. So there's obviously a good reason that we need to have a healthy fear of God. It's imperative that we understand how important fear is. In fact, I want to give you a verse that comes from Hebrews later on in the New Testament. The Bible says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad the kingdom of God is secure. It ain't going anywhere. There ain't no vote depending on it. And it's not run by this party or that party. It's in complete control of the king, Jesus. And he says, let us have grace by which we must serve God acceptably. Does that mean we can serve God unacceptably? Yes. And he says that not only must we serve God acceptably, but let us serve him with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You see, what he was guilty of is not giving half or giving not as much as the other man in the story above. But wanting to make himself look like he was giving something that he really wasn't. So that he would look good to others. And I began to look at that and I began to think and I began to let it point at my heart. And you know how important is 
reverence and godly fear. What do you think it makes God feel like when we act one way and we portray ourselves another way, but we're not? In fact, Jesus called that hypocrisy. And our God, it says, is a consuming fire. And friends, at this time, when we look and we all know we've been seeing how God's working, the power of the Holy Spirit is so abundantly powerful and it is such a force in the early church and the new message that they've got of Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel is going forth with such boldness and power that people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. The church is taking off. The last thing that needed to happen to the church is for people to become not real, to be fake, to play a religious game. See, that's what religion is. Religion is making people look a certain way. But a relationship with God is truly being a certain way. And I want you to think about this. Reverence. If you look up the word reverence, this comes from the the Holman Christian Bible, I mean dictionary. It says, respect or honor paid to a worthy object, especially God. Now, when he says fear God, it doesn't mean fear like, oh, no, God's going to get me. It means fear God with respect and honor to the point that you're in awe of who he is. You're awestruck at the unbelievable God that we serve. And guys, if we were honest today, you don't see the same fear in our church or any churches that you see in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, reverence is clear that we are to pay reverence and honor to lots of things. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is that we are to honor our father and our mother. That means that you are to reverence them. You are to honor them. You're not scared of a good father and a good mother, but you certainly reverence them and respect them and honor them. And that's the same thing. See, when I look into the Bible, I see that in the Old Testament, not only did they reverence and honor God, but they reverenced and honored the things of God. I mean, in the Bible, they reverenced the temple. It was a holy place. You didn't do things there that wasn't supposed to be done. It was looked at as God's house. And They referenced the commandments. They referenced the things of God. Today, there was a time when if you held up a Bible, you may not believe it. You may not even know what it says, but it was reverenced and it was honored as the word of God. And people were careful about what they said about it or how they treated it. There was a time when the church was reverenced. There was a time when the man of God, the preacher, was looked upon. Whether you believed in him or not, That he was someone that you need to respect and honor. But that's not like it is anymore. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but as I begin to look and I think the failure to reverence God and the act of reverencing other things as God brought dire consequences in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. And friends, today, if we're honest... The modern church of our generation lacks a sense of wonder and reverence toward God. That's why you hear people tell you all the time when you try to talk to them about Jesus. Oh, me and the Lord got it figured out. 
Me and the man upstairs is okay. When they tell you that, they're not okay. <laughs> they don't know him. Because everywhere I look, when people met Jesus and seen Jesus for who he was, and Jesus did a miraculous work in their life and made himself known and they encountered the true Jesus, they didn't look at him as their buddy. They looked at him as God in the flesh. And friends, today, yes, what a friend we have in Jesus. But this text is a vivid reminder that he's not just our friend, he's our God. And he's to be respected. Friends, when you look at this, we want to bring God down to our level. Sometimes we want God to be commonplace, but he's God. And though we have direct access to God as his children through the cross and through the blood, we need to never forget that, what it costs for that to happen. It costs the shed blood and the, the, the agonizing sacrifice of God's Son himself to make it possible that we can enter in to the Holy of Holies, that we can have a relationship where we're made right with God and we can experience God. You see, I'm a firm believer when we encounter God, when we experience his holiness, there will be a sense of awe and godly fear. In my personal life, when God has truly did a life-changing thing to me, it didn't make me want to jump up and down and say, Woo, yippee It made me humble. It brought me low. And the Bible even says that for Jesus to increase, John the Baptist had to first decrease. And friends, listen, there is something about reverencing God and honoring God that takes us being brought low so that he can be raised up. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And friends, when I look in the Bible and I see people who experienced a true encounter of the Lord and I see that they seen Jesus for who he truly was over and over and over, I don't see them saying, man, you ought to come to our church. It's wonderful. They say, man, Jesus Christ is there. When Peter was on the seashore and he allowed Christ to use his boat to preach a sermon to a crowd. And after he preached to that crowd, he told Peter, Peter, shove out to the deep and cast your net. Peter, a professional fisherman, said, Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing. You catch the fish at night. And he says, go out and throw it in the deep and you'll make a catch. Peter said, but at your bidding, Lord, we'll do it. Peter cast the net in the biggest catch he'd ever seen in his life, a, an unnatural, a, a supernatural, miraculous, beyond ability in all of his life of fishing. He had to call for help. It was about to sink his boat, and they're pulling it in. And in the meantime, as they're pulling in the catch, he realizes that this is not just coincidence. This is not just by chance. This is a miracle. This man knew something that no one could. He caused something, and he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, be not afraid. So Jesus said, be not afraid. Because from now on, you will fish for men. 
I look at the apostles, and they're in a boat that Jesus told them to get into. And Jesus got in the boat with them, and he said, I'm taking you to the other side. And I'm so glad that I'm not stuck where I'm at, that Jesus is always taking me to the other side. He's always bringing me somewhere. He never leaves me in the rut of life and boredom. But you got to get in the boat with him. Can I get an amen? And they got in the boat, and Jesus got in the boat with them. And Jesus apparently was tired, and Jesus took a nap. And in the middle of Jesus' nap, a storm showed up and the wind began to blow and the waves began to crash. And seasoned lifetime professional fishermen who had been on that lake their whole life all of a sudden feared for their life. It was a storm like they'd never seen. And they go, Jesus, Jesus, Master, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And they're scared for their life because of the circumstances and the consequences of what's going on around them. And there was fear of that storm. And rightly so. But Jesus gets up and rebukes him. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you fearful? And he said, peace, be still. And in the next verse it says, then they said, who is this? That even the sea and the wind listens to his command. And they were in awe. Their fear changed from the storm and the circumstances of what was going on in their life to the God who had calmed that storm. One moment they thought we're dying. The next moment they said, who is this man who can do such stuff? You see, when you meet Jesus, my friend... And your life gets changed. And that's what he does. He's a changing life God. And when you are with him and he meets with you, no one who comprehends the incredibleness of God takes their relationship with him lightly. He is not a God that we are always accustomed to. In the Bible, over and over, you'll see words that are translated as awe and awesome. Awe and awesome appear in different passages in different English translations as the translation of different Hebrew and Greek words. But in the Bible, the term awe and awesome refers to an emotion that combines honor, fear, and respect before someone of a superior office, someone who has superior ability to produce actions we can't produce. It most appropriately in the Bible appears and applies to God. As a matter of fact, you'll see over and over in the Bible, I ain't got time to show you all of them to you, where fear and awe are together in an encounter with God. Today, I want to show you in Psalm 33, 8, God's desire is for let all the earth fear the Lord (laughs) and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now, my question is, when's the last time you was in such awe of God that you reverenced him and respected him to the point you desired to honor him that you bowed your knee to him? 
not at church in front of everybody else, for everybody else could see you, but by yourself, just you and him. Maybe put your head in a couch cushion and said, oh God, you are my God. You are so good to me. Lord, I'm not scared of you because you punish me or because you've corrected me. Lord, I'm in awe of you because of how you've changed me, of how you have blessed me. I'm in awe to the point, God, I fear you not for what you're due to me, but for what you may no longer do. See, I think the greatest fear that we ought to have for God is not what he'll do to us. It's when we don't respect him, when we don't honor him, when we don't treat him the way he should be treated, what he doesn't do. Because, yes, this church was serving a God that, goodness, you lie about the offering. Do you tithe? Yes. When you ain't tithe, boom, you get married. (laughs) Vance Havner said if God began to treat the modern church like he did Sapphira and Ananias, that every church would have to have a morgue in the basement. (laughs) And, guys, I want to tell you something. I'm so glad he hasn't treated me like Brother Ananias. How about you? But I am glad and I am thankful that he's worked in my life in a way that he is building and he is teaching me the importance of coming before him with godly fear. With a holy understanding that he's not just a genie that sits on the throne that can bless and do whatever I ask him to do. That he is God, the creator. And friends, listen, today, if there was something the church needs a fresh dose of, is an understanding of the aweness, awesomeness of our God. I think of Jacob. Jacob was running for his life because he'd done wrong to his brother. And on his first night when he left, he stopped at a place named Bethel. And he took a rock and he made it a pillar and he went to sleep. And as Jacob was sleeping on that rock, he had a dream and he seen a ladder that went all the way to heaven and the angels were around it. And when he woke up that morning, he realized that God had showed up, that God had told him, I'm going to be with you, Jacob. I'm not, you're going to, I'm going to be with you all the days of your life. And This is what Jacob says in Genesis 28, 16. And Jacob awoke from his sleep. How many of you was in that sleep one day? You didn't know who he was. You didn't realize this was the house of God. This was church. Man, this is not the house of the Lord. But you woke up from your sleep one day. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Do you remember when that happened? Surely Jesus is Lord. I didn't know it. Surely Christ is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. And listen to what the Bible says. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate to heaven. This is the church. And Jesus is our gate to heaven. Can I get an amen? And friends, it ought to make us realize How awesome our God is. So I look at this, and I'm not, man, I hope he don't show up and do this in our church, which, but I am thankful he did it here for me to read. 
But you know, I do believe that we are seeing God's chastening, that God is correcting us for our lack of fearing him in a respectful way. You see, when I read in this church, God was still moving in powerful ways. What is the greater loss to save people? I believe Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that there is a death, there is a sin leading unto death for the brother in Christ. Physical death. To see two people brought home to be used to keep lots of other people from making a fatal mistake that would grieve the Holy Spirit, that possibly would quench the Holy Spirit. Because if you noticed, he said, you didn't lie to men, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You didn't test us, you tested God. And I want you to think about this with me today. Who do we fear? What do we fear? When I look here, Because they had great fear. Look at what it says in the verses right past where we quit reading. You see, this is what didn't stop happening. Yeah, two people got buried and everyone got scared. (laughs) He got their attention. But the Holy Spirit was able to stay active. Look at verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Look at this. So they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter's passing might fall on some of them. Friends, we look at that and they say, preacher, don't you know that was in the days of the Bible? God doesn't do that anymore. Could it be the reason that God doesn't do that as much as he did in the book of Acts is that we don't fear him as much? That we don't reverence him and honor him and glorify him? Could it be that we all have things in our life today that God hasn't corrected by killing us But we sure don't have the power of God in our life. We're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because man, this is what I think we really need to ask ourselves. Who do we fear the most? In my opinion, most people in the church today fear what men think about them more than what God thinks about them. And they surely are more worried about what God, I mean what men think about them, than what God knows about them. Because we got all kind of stuff in our life that if I was to find out about, you would be very uncomfortable. But you come here like, don't matter. God knows it's there. And I'm not talking about you got mad and cussed out your neighbor because his dog did his business in your room and you've been in a fight with him I'm not talking about thing I'm talking about you have habitual things in your life that you don't deal with that you don't even care about anymore that God says it shouldn't be that way you see who do we fear the most God or man God or man because it's 
undeniable proof in this scripture that the church of Acts feared God more than man. I hear people all the time, oh no, America's changing. They're going to take away our Christian rights. When did our Christian rights come from America? My Christian rights comes from God through his son. And my rights are made real by the power of his spirit in me. And it comes through me. A government can't stop true Christianity any more than it could stop it here. No one ever wanted to stop it more than the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council, the same men who put Jesus on the cross. They wanted to stop it here. Look at what happens here. They're doing all these miracles. I mean, if, if there was a church all of a sudden, look at what it says in verse 16. It says, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Man, wouldn't you think America might change its mind about our Jesus? But it wouldn't. They didn't. Look what happens in verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They were upset because Jesus was being preached, and Jesus was being recognized. And men were saying, this Jesus is still alive, and he's God. He's your Messiah. And they laid hands on these apostles. Look at verse 18. And they put them in the common prison. But at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And look at what he told them to do in verse 20. Brother Nick preached on this a few weeks ago. He said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of his life. See, they had to choose. <laughs> who are we going to fear? The men who arrested Jesus and falsely accused him and had him arrested and put on the cross? Or are we going to fear Jesus and told us to go and stand in the temple and preach? Friends, listen. It says, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and they taught. They, they, they said, look, they're not going to shut us up. Look down here a little further. It says in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But look what Peter said. See, maybe the better question is not who do we fear, but who do we obey? We've been studying for weeks now, a couple months, that the chief thing that God has given us to do is to be his witness, to go and make disciples, to share our faith, to tell people about Jesus. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. But multitudes of us never even think there's nothing wrong without doing that. We are to be his representatives. Peter said when they told him, do not speak this name again. Does that not sound familiar in America? We don't want to hear this, Jesus. Did y'all see the terrible storm, the, 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 the tornado that went through Mississippi? I know Amory, Mississippi well. I've been there many times in my life. We used to go there and turn boats and pick up wood chip barges and go to Mobile, Alabama with them. And I got on and off the boat there. It's a pretty good little city, town. And have you seen the 
the, the big thing, there's over a million people looked at it. It's went viral, as they call it. There was a newscaster. Is that what it's called, Sam? He's laughing. I know I said it wrong. What is it called? Okay. Well, there was a meteorologist that was there looking at Doppler, and he's tracking the storm, and he's telling them, have y'all seen this? You need to look at it. It's awesome. And he's telling them the storm's coming, and he's warning the people in the community that he serves, and he's saying, it's coming. It's going right to you, Amory. People in Amory, this is a serious, life-threatening, death-killing tornado. He's saying, uh, it's crossing Highway 6 Bridge right now. It's going to be to you in minutes. Get in your tornado safe zone. And he's looking at it. He says, oh, my God. And he bows, and he says, Lord Jesus, have mercy on them and help them. And then he raises up and he just starts doing his job again. It's unbelievable. A million people have seen it. But guys, you wouldn't believe how many people are upset about that. I don't know about y'all. I'm praising Jesus. I don't like it when people die. But I do like when people die and God doesn't waste it. He uses it as an opportunity to share who Jesus is. Guys, listen. These two people died because they did something they shouldn't have done. But Jesus used it to make the church better. And friends, I don't know about y'all. Do we really fear God enough to obey God? Or are we just talking word salad? (laughs) Is it just something we say? Because I want to ask you something. You ever heard this happen? What's that mean? Ding dong. I'm going to tell y'all something, and y'all going to think he's, he's ad-libbing. He's, he's embellishing this. Diane will tell you, it happens all the time. How many of you have had somebody knock on your door, and they say, who is it? And, man, you can hear the TV blaring, the dogs barking, the cats meowing, the kids are screaming. Mama ain't happy. And life is going on in that house. Who is it? It's the preacher. Oh. The cat goes, meow. The dog goes, and the kids go, Mama, it's the preacher. And the TV turns off, and you can just hear things happening like vacuum cleaners and warp speed and furniture flying. And then they open the door and say, Hey, preacher, what brings you our way? What are you doing here? I said, Well, we was just in the neighborhood, and the Lord put you on my heart. Thought we'd stop by and have a visit. Come on in. We're so glad. And you, say, and you can just sense the tension and the concern that the preacher's here. Guess who was there before the preacher ever got there? The Lord. And friends, if you're upset because the preacher is there, what would happen if Jesus knocked on your door? Friends, I've seen it over and over in the ministry. You don't know what it's like to be the preacher. There was the Why Not Grocery in Why Not, little only place in Why Not where you could go to get anything unless you drove 16 miles to town. I went in there one day. I never went there much. I walk in on a Saturday, and a man who was every Sunday at my church, who I never even thought drank, was standing in line with two quarts of Miller, one in each hand. I walked through the door, and he went, Preacher! He was next in line. He sat him on the counter. I said, have a blessed day, brother. And I act like I didn't even see him. Because if I'd have made something out of it, he might have not came back to my church. He came back. I never mentioned him. 
didn't have to. Because if he really wants to do something about it, and if God, it's more concerned about what God knows than what I know. But it happens all the time. All the time. I joined the Why Not Bighorn Hunting Club. And it was a dog hunting club. So you have to have a four-wheel drive. And to chase dogs, you got to have a radio. CB. Guess what my handle was? Preacher. <laughs> on, a, on a good day, there'd be 30 men there. In trucks. And they turn them dogs out and they get excited. And all of a sudden, it's a blanking buck. And he's running toward blanking you know where. And he's a big blanker you know what. And all of a sudden, they'd say, hey, that preacher's on here. He's got a radio now. And I'd go on the radio. I'd say, don't worry about the preacher. I've said every one of them in my past. But Jesus don't need no radio. <laughs> But that's how we act. That's what we do. My question this morning is, the preacher's here. Oh, no. Look what Paul said to a church in Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, and, and y'all are my beloved. I love y'all. I love the church. I love God's people. But this is what Paul said. As you have always obeyed me, not as much in my presence. Don't just obey me when the preacher's here. Don't just obey me when the brethren are in the presence. He says, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with joy, with fear and trembling. For in the next verse, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Friends, I don't know about what you're doing with your salvation, but the last one you need to worry about is me. <laughs> But that's how we think, and that's how it gets into our lives, and then it gets into our church. And before long, we're coming, and we're making ourselves look like Jesus freaks when we ain't even thought about him all week. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus, when we ain't even spent time with him. We bring our big old giant King James Bible, and we bring it to church where everyone can see it when we ain't even opened it. All week. We make things look important who aren't important. We make ourselves look like something we're really not. You see, that's the danger of what happened to them. It, they, had, they could have just not give anything. They could have sold the land and kept it all. They could have just kept the land. It was in, they had grace. They could do what they want. But they wanted to look like everybody else, but not at the cost of doing what it cost everybody else. You see, the first way of following Jesus is to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. And friends, listen, the preacher's here. I want to tell you there's something more important than that. The Lord is here. <laughs> and think about this. The Bible says, when we go to the house of God, walk prudently. That means walk carefully to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. When we come here today, you should draw near to hear what God has to say. You know, what is the sacrifice of a fool? To hear clear, concise, spirit-anointed instruction from the Word of God. To hear it, to agree with it. 
to amen it. Yes, that's true. And walk out of here and not do any of it. That's a sacrifice of a fool. See what Jesus said. He said that he who hears my words and does them is wise. But he who hears my words and does not do them is foolish. He said, because one day when the storms come and the winds blow and the things that bring fear into our life, the things we ought to fear, show up. If you've not been right with God, you'll fear those things. But when you are right with God, have you noticed you don't fear the world? You don't fear the things that everybody else because you have a right fear of God. I think that's what God would want us to get out of this text. And friends, I don't know if you believe what Jesus says is important, but Jesus said this in Luke 12, 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, you should fear him. (laughs) I don't want people to think bad of me, but I got over it a long time ago. I'm more concerned what God thinks about me and what God knows about me than what you think about me and what you think you know about me. Because a lot of you think you know about me, but you really don't. But God knows everything about me. You know what I'm amazed at? His grace is so unbelievable and his mercy is so long-suffering, patient, and kind that he still blesses me, still takes care of me. He still cares for me. And I don't know about y'all, that humbles me. That makes me say, Lord, I want to do better. So when you come to church and you've had one of them mornings like we've all sooner or later will have, you get up and it's just bad. I mean, you're mad at the wife. Y'all went to sleep not talking and you got up and worse now she's decided to talk. And you're getting ready for church. And I mean, you're so not right with God that you kick her cat. Meow. You're walking out the door and you growl at her dog. And you get in the car and you tell the kid, sit back there. Don't say a word. And you crank it up. And she gets in and you're, mm. And you're on your way to church. Sooner or later, you all have an experience like this because you're human. And you say, now when we get there to church, y'all kids behave. Don't y'all go doing things to make us look bad. When you go to Sunday school, it was your teacher's birthday. Y'all remember to tell her happy birthday. And you pull up, and you ain't talked all the way to church. And the first thing you get out, you see the preacher or one of the deacons. Hey, how you doing? We are blessed. We're just blessed. We're wonderful. Ain't God good? It's what we do. Sometimes we ought to say, man, I'm having a bad time. Pray for me. I'm ready to kill her. (laughs) Them women, I'm going to be honest. You know what I've come to find? Lord, I'm having a bad day. I don't like this. I think this is bad. I hate it. Lord, I'm pouting. 
He knows it anyway. Would you agree with me that one of the great things lacking in the church today is transparency and genuineness and being real? Because I don't know about y'all, I have bad days sometimes and some of you cause it. (laughs) But I give you a bad day sometimes because I cause them. But what I've come to found is the most unbelievable thing of all is that God, no matter if we're having a bad day, no matter if we're having a good day, no matter if we're at our best, no matter if I'm at my worst, no matter where I am or what I'm doing and not doing, God treats me the only way God can treat me. He loves me. He's patient with me. Yes, he'll correct me. He's God. So what I want us to recognize at church today is the Lord is here. (laughs) The Lord is here. He was here last Sunday. Can I get an amen? You can't say that at every church. There are at some churches where you get in more trouble for doing right than you will for doing wrong. It's a sad day in which we live. But God's standard never changes. It never will. What he said is right in the Bible is right today. And what he said is wrong in the Bible is wrong today. And when he looks at our life, he sees it exactly like it is. Like Dennis says, he doesn't grade on a curve. But thank good his grace will forgive. And his mercy is great. He doesn't give us what we deserve He gives us what we don't deserve. And this morning, no one deserves to be saved. And there's someone I would think in here today who's not sure, who you may know you're not saved. You're not going to fool God. You might fool us, but in the end, we'll all one day know. So I want to say, if you need Jesus today, come and be real. Just say, I got a lot of things that may look like it. But I need Jesus. Today, though, for I'm preaching to the church this morning. How many of you want the Holy Spirit to be active in our church and in our families and in our life? You see, I'm convinced we have the knowledge, but we have to have the enablement. God has to be able to give the Spirit, and the Spirit has to work. Well, to have the Spirit active in your life, you've got to follow the Spirit. You've got to be led by the Spirit. The Spirit will always lead you exactly what the Word of God says, and it will always use you to glorify Jesus. The Spirit will take the word of God and he'll speak you the truth of God so that you can honor the son of God and that's what he wants to do in all our lives this morning so I'm going to just ask you maybe you need to come to this altar this morning and bow the knee and give God a little reverence and a little respect and show him that you mean business maybe he's telling you to do that maybe you can do where but what I'm telling you is let's get real with Jesus and you know what I believe if we get real with Jesus Jesus would do things we can't imagine He would use us in ways we can't even think to ask. We would be just like the book of Acts, church. So church, I'm going to pray. Jonathan's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. This is your opportunity. God brought you here today so you can be real. When you look in a mirror, I hate to tell you, when I look in the mirror now, especially when I'm in my underwear, I know I'm 60. (laughs) Although I wish I was 40. But I can wish I'm 40, I could act like I'm 40, but I'm never going to be 40 again because I'm 60. The Word of God is a mirror. The Holy Spirit's showing you who you are and where you are. Today you can come 
And you might not be able to fix 60, but you can fix what's wrong with you if you get honest with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, just respond. Don't even wait till I pray. Come right now if God's telling you, you need to come and do business with me. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the correction that you bring into your people. But Lord, I thank you more for anything, Lord. For the joy of knowing who you are and just be in awe of an almighty God. And Lord, today there's a lost person in our midst who's fighting the battle for his soul. He's needing to come. He knows he should come. His flesh is saying, wait. The devil is saying, you don't have to do it. But in his heart, he knows God is calling and saying, today is the day of salvation. Lord, if that person is here, give them grace to step out and be saved. And Lord, for the rest of us who are saved, help us leave here today real, genuine, being who we say we are without any hidden things of shame that we might walk out of here, Lord, right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come, this is your song. This is your moment.